It is indeed a pleasure to be able to be with you this evening. And as Gary said, I can be a very busy person, but that's because I say yes to almost everything God sends my way. And I thought I could even squeeze in this afternoon. I was at the airport about an hour ago, getting the Iowa Hawkeyes on that plane to go up and play Minnesota. I was talking to Gary Dolphin and some of the people, and Fran was there, and they said, don't you have a talk to give? Uh, yes, I do. Well, you better get up there and take care of that. So they too are our guardian angels. And their priorities are just where you want them to be. Anyway, I want to thank you, Gary, for making this possible for me. And I've never experienced a time in my life when it seemed like my whole life flashed before my eyes for all of you to see. And I find it very humbling to stand before you today to relive some of my life's experiences. I consider it indeed an honor and a privilege. I am truly blessed, but I'm blessed because of all the times I have said yes. Lord, I am yours. I believe that there are two very important days in our lives, one being baptism, and the other is the day that we meet our maker. Because in baptism, we're baptized into Christ's life. We're also baptized into his death. And we are baptized into his resurrection as well. But the second important day is when we die. We know not the day nor the hour that the Lord will come. And I pray that we are ready to meet God face to face to give that real way of reckoning ourselves and be able to give the witness talk of our lives. I can't imagine that when I go to my glory that someday there will be someone there to see how things have been when I've been here on earth. And when I go to my glory, I guess there will be someone, and Gary, it might be you, standing next to God, reading off that prepared list of things that I've done here on earth. And I am praying that everything I've done will get me through those pearly gates. But God, even with his infinite wisdom and his love, would probably look at me and say, so, what do you have to say for yourself? And I probably would give him even more things that I've done. And that's when he would stop and say, John, may I remind you that it's not what you do in life that matters. You have done many, many things. But Mother Teresa did many things too. But she set the example as to how we are to live. The example of how to give from the heart. Because it's not how much we give but how much love we put into the giving to serve one another and love one another unconditionally, just as Jesus has taught us. This is my story, and as I look back, I can see the hand of God opening my eyes to a much richer life by serving others. And I ask you tonight to open your hearts your minds, your inner self, to what the Spirit has in store for you as well. All you have to do 
is say yes. And as of right now, in this very moment, all of you are part of my faith journey. And I thank you for your prayers, your support, and your encouragement. Because all of us have experiences walking to Emmaus, not knowing who we may have touched along the way. I know that my walk has had many God moments that have enriched my life in ways that always or never can be always measured. But I know one piece and that one person that has been my rock through thick or thin, in good times and in bad, for better, for worse, in sickness and health. It is indeed my pleasure to introduce my best friend, my soulmate, my high school sweetheart, my beautiful wife of 44 years, Patrice. Please. And we were blessed with four children and four grandchildren. And I think some of those are in attendance today. And I thank them very much for being here. Some of the grandkids, you may have a chance to see them later. And you might hear a lot of them if you don't get out of their way. There's a lot of energy. And for the sake of oneness on this sacred space, I, like Jesus in the temple, Consider all of you my mothers and fathers, my brothers and sisters. Welcome and peace be with you all. I dedicate this talk to one of my friends, my backup wide receiver in Nebraska, Bill Hosek. He's a teacher and coach from Harlan, Iowa, and he's battling cancer. So I want you to keep Bill and his wife Carmen and their family in your prayers. I know a few of you are wondering just what the deacon of St. Jude is speaking to you and why I'm here at St. Matthew's. So I must confess to you now, I'm recruiting. After all, you have such a strong tradition here, it's about time you start sharing. And we are certainly open for business. But sharing our faith should be something that we do naturally. There are so many wonderful opportunities if we just look around. The love and support in this very room is amazing. And I know there's a CEW coming up, and we are celebrating 40 years of the permanent diaconate. Feel free to pick up information before you leave today. If not for yourself, then perhaps for someone else that you might keep in your prayers. I know someone asked my wife, Patrice, how long that I was in formation. And she said, well, 65 years. <laughs> it's not taking classes for four and a half years that you learn how to be a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ. It comes from within. So we thank our parents, the people that support us, and all the people along your journey. All of us here have unique gifts and talents, and hopefully throughout this Lenten season, you discover how to use those in helping other people. And if you promise me that you will do that, please confirm that 
by just looking at me at this moment. I'm going to hold you, all of you, to that Lenten promise. You're going to have a great story. But my story started on a small town in northern Iowa, the traditional Catholic family, six kids. Mom always made sure we got to Mass on time and learned those Latin words as we served as altar boys. And we sure tried. Mea maxima copa. And chores were always done before Dad would ever take us to town and play. You see, I considered us as rich kids. We didn't have any money, but we were rich in many other ways. We had family, we had food, we had helping neighbors, and a faith base that was rooted in love. What more could a person want? We were never bored, and every summer, mid-July, we would go to see my first cousin play professional baseball in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was Dennis Menke from Bancroft, and he played with the Milwaukee Braves. Now, I'm going to do some name-dropping today, but because they're real people, and God put these real people in my life. And some of my best memories of watching the Braves, not just the fact that they gave me hand-me-downs to, to wear when I was playing baseball in high school, but we had a chance to babysit Hank Aaron's kids during games. That's an awesome thing. And a guy called Joe Torrey was Denny's roommate on the road, so we got to know them very well. Those were my first professional mentors. They made my faith journey stronger because how they respected us, even as kids. And they seemed to understand what they did was just a game. And going to church and loving their families is what I learned from them. But when my cousin was traded to Houston and the Braves moved to Atlanta, I felt a little uneasy how they were partying like they were a piece of properties. So I spoke with Hank Aaron and wished him well, thinking that maybe going south would be a good thing for him. He liked warm climate. He hated the winters. But his response made me stop and think. He said, Johnny, my wife and I went down to Atlanta to check out some homes, and you know what? There's a lot of people still fighting the war down there. That was 1966. I was 15. And it made me sad, the fact that my first experience of knowing that there are prejudices in the world that affect good people, and how unfair that seemed. That violence still defines us today, unfortunately, as it did back in Selma, Alabama. It made me look back at my own faith, and I sometimes wondered maybe my faith came just maybe a little bit too easy, to the point I was complacent and maybe taking my faith for granted, because it was right there, right in front of me all the time. 
He was like breathing the air around us. You breathe in, you breathe out, you breathe in. Look, everyone's doing it. Why? Because it's free. So as a junior at Bishop Garrigan High School, I made a promise to God that I would somehow begin reaching out to those that were being marginalized in our world and seek ways to maybe bridge the gaps that separate us by forming a common bond. And so we did. We took three athletes from Algona High School and three athletes from Bishop Garrigan. We formed a friendship that still exists today by going to a summer camp together with our football coaches. And believe it or not, a nine passenger station wagon. Can you imagine that? No wonder we became close friends. But we were determined to ride in that broken down Buick, just like the Griswolds, praying that God was going to lead us to our first mountaintop experience. And he delivered. Because we went to Estes Park, Colorado, to our first FCA camp. What a wonderful way as athletes to put God number one in our lives and to love one another unconditionally, knowing we could do much, much more in our lives. So we formed our first huddle group and took two buses of athletes back to Estes Park the next year. And it was this return trip that I met a faith-filled gentleman called Tom Landry from the Dallas Cowboys. And he helped me see the power of prayer and helped me not to be anxious about what plans that God had for me to relax, to enjoy life. Coach Landry loved the game of football, but his love for God and helping others succeed is what really gave him satisfaction. And I needed to feel that. Not surprised that he was the director of FCA in Dallas from 1968 till his death in the year 2000. He was a champion for Christ, that is for sure. Most people will remember him for his suit and his hat but I will always remember him for his authentic kindness, his character, his Christian faith, his positive attitude. I appreciated his encouragement to me, and his favorite phrase was, with God, anything's possible, Matthew 19, 26. And I didn't realize at the time that four years later, the Dallas Cowboys, would put me on their watch list in the Pro Football Weekly magazine. But that was 1973. But first I had the opportunity to play college football as a wide receiver. That was my initial goal. So off to college I went, choosing a college in Nebraska, Peru State, formerly known as Nebraska State Teachers College, with my sights on becoming a design teacher a football and track coach. And making the team was, of course, my first test. 
So everything I did was at top speed because I knew the coaches were watching. And I also knew as a wide receiver, I had to go top speed or it'd mess up my timing. Something I learned from the pros at the FCA camp. Then came my break. One hot day in Nebraska, we were going through the warm-ups kind of half-heartedly, and the coaches were kind of frustrated, getting rather upset, and out of nowhere, Coach Palaszczuk yells out, Winkle, get up there and lead these people. Well, I was in the back row. I was a freshman, and I was surprised that the coach even knew my name. So I jumped up, said, yes, coach. And as I was running in front of my teammates, it just dawned on me that because a freshman, I had my name Winkle right across my helmet. <laughs> Duh. But I must have had the Holy Spirit with me, guiding me, because this gave me the confidence to lead with authority. The last will be first, and the first will be last. It's Matthew 20, 16. I knew God had to be with me because I remained in front of my teammates to lead them for the next four years. But there was a time I felt I could do it all by myself. And I thought I could just put God on hold for a while because I was tired and God certainly understood that he wouldn't mind if I take a well-deserved break or two from some of that church stuff. After all, I was John Winkle. I was co-captain. I was all Nebraska. I was president of the dorm. Life was so good. Ready to turn for my sophomore year to set more records. That was until two weeks before football practice that fall. I was involved in a truck accident and it was a rollover on Highway 18 near Mason City. And that 22-ton feed truck that I was driving for a summer job, somehow it popped all the bolts on the tag wheels and blew out all the tires. I lost control and I hung on for my life as I skidded on the highway, spilling 615 bushels of beans down the road. Eventually, we ended up in the ditch still hanging on to the steering wheel, except I was on the dash, but the windshield did not break. And boy, I was mad at God for holding up me from reporting to camp. And sitting in the Kasuth County Hospital was the last place that I wanted to be. But I was lucky to be alive, but too stubborn to know who to thank for that. I think God was teaching me a lesson because I reported to camp late and the accident slowed me down just a bit. So I sulked and would stay in my room just to feel sorry for myself. Not a fun guy to be around. Then one Sunday morning came a hard knock on my door. Winkle, get up. We're going to church. We'll see you there. Well, maybe I was drowsy or maybe the pain meds 
kept me from thinking clearly. I couldn't tell who it was that knocked. But being the curious George that I was, I got up, went to Mass, and thanked my buddies for the wake-up call, but they said it wasn't them. To this day, I don't know who that was unless they're in this room, and they probably wouldn't say. But I don't believe in coincidences. I call them divine intervention. And I, like you, have many angels that have watched over me, so many in my life that I wouldn't know where to begin. But I do know that the Holy Spirit is with us now and I pray for guidance on a regular basis. In fact, I seem to have a better day when I surrender to God. And let me explain what surrender is. For those with those happy marriages, that's when you surrender to the next person and things all work out. Well, by surrendering to God and just to be in his presence, especially when I'm tired and weak, I am like the little children that stand by you adults and put their arms up because they want to be lifted up. Well, they do that because they are weak and they need your help. God is like that too. If you raise yourself up and ask him to take you to the next level, I, for one, would say that he will. But I don't think it's a coincidence how my life seemed to be having a better balance once I let God back in my life. First, I needed his help to achieve my goals in life. I still want to be a teacher and a coach. And secondly, I understood that he had a better plan for me anyway. So I let go and let God. And like my old wooden sign in the bathroom says, good morning, this is God. I will be handling all your problems today. The much better position to be in. My junior and senior years in college were full of those NFL scouts wanting information about me, about my family. I can't tell you how many 40-yard dashes that I ran for those two years. But I remember they always wanted three, maybe because of the average Somewhere, I think my average was between 4.7 and 4.8, if my grandpa memory serves me. We didn't have the combine like they have today for prospective athletes. No, to me in 1973, a combine was that old John Deere that was rusting away and behind the corn crib. But I did pray, since God was on my team, that if I should be drafted, I wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy because they showed me the most interest and in being with Tom Landry again would be a dream come true. But it wasn't to be. I wasn't drafted, but I got the consolation prize, which I'm sure on that 492 people that were drafted, the ones that were not were given a 
free agent opportunity. So I had free agent, 10 of those from other teams. But as you know, free agent isn't free. So I prayed that if God really had a better plan for me, then I was open to it. Let's get her done. And on draft day, I remember waiting for that call and we waited and we waited. And even Mary, the house mom, made sure that there was a line kept open back in the day. I slowly let go of the dream and looked for how I could fill the football void in my life. And even today, sometimes I wonder how things may have been different. But knowing what I know now, I would change nothing. I am at peace. And I thank God that he never abandoned me. But sometimes our memories can play tricks on us. In fact, just the other day, I was sharing this talk with some people and I told them that, you know, your mind thinks that I could still get out there and run those routes, make those cuts, catch that ball. In fact, I said I felt that day so confident, they said, I think I could still run a 4.840. Of course, it'd be 40 feet, <laughs> but I think I could. Having been considered for the NFL is but one chapter in my life. And when one door closes, another one opens. Strength grows in the moments when we think we can't go on, but we keep going on anyway. Then one day I get the call that I was really looking for. I applied for several teaching jobs and was excited to get my first interview from Boylan Central Catholic High School in Rockford, Illinois. Believe me, when I say they were looking for a football and track coach with a teaching position of architectural design, I'm like, really? God, you are the greatest. And my prayers were answered. And I felt as if God and I were on the same team again. So my fiance, Patrice, and I drove to Boylan Central Catholic High School on Campus Hills Boulevard for my first interview. And it was Holy Week, and we knew that this was going to be a divine intervention. God did deliver on the first try. The superintendent had high expectations when he said to me, and what sealed the deal, he said, John, if you accept this position, and we hope you do, we don't want you to think of this as a job or a profession. We want you to accept it as a vocation. We want you to provide the leadership, the guidance, and the mentorship to our students and staff to be a part of the Boylan family. So I thank you, God, for my first real experience, something that we'll always remember. We always remember our firsts. And the Boylan Titans are still part of my life and in my prayers. And I asked the principal sometime later at a golf outing, I said, Father John, I said, could you tell me why you really hired me? Was it my statistics, my 40, the, my good looks, or what 
what brought you to offering this, this position? I was the curious George again. He said, John, it was the Father Conway Scholarship and the Bert Swenson Award. Father Conway Scholarship out of Bishop Garrigan is a service award, as is the Bert Swenson Award in college for the athlete that makes a difference in the community. Sometimes we're held to a higher expectation and we think it's the things that we do that make a difference, but there's always someone that's looking deeper into your heart. I remember our first game against Notre Dame of Niles in Chicago. It was a squeaker that we won seven to six. Then we went 10 and 0 for the rest of the season, which is very special. But more special recently, the team asked me to come to their 40th class reunion. That is very special. In 1988, we moved our family back to Iowa and God came with us and his blessings help us define who we are. As members of St. Pius for 25 years, I felt my first calling to the diaconate, but I was looking for the right time and the right sign. Could I be a man of service in all I do? Could I express my love for God and still keep a balance in my life? But what I realize is that there never will be that perfect time. So I prayed for direction and peace in my life. And what I discovered is that it was my ego that kept saying, well, once everything falls into place, I'll find peace. But the Holy Spirit would whisper, John, find your peace, and then everything will fall in place. So I consider going to a CW, and I say consider because it took three times that I said no to the CEW. I was busy. Back on the third time, I drove there, parking lot, took a phone call, whatever, I came back home, said I can't go, I'm too busy. I denied Christ three times. But God always made time for me, and I thank him for his persistence, as well as the friends that eventually got me there. And like you, who led me to my second mountaintop experience, the CEW was that beautiful meaning of what my faith was all about. What a gift that you give other people. And for those that haven't gone, you can thank me later. It was there that I opened my eyes, my ears, and my heart to what God had for me. Then came that special, simple note about the diaconal informational meeting. It came on an anonymous letter. It just had inside the letter, it had the uh, information meeting at St. E's, the time, and on the outside of the envelope it said, pray on this. Simply put, pray on this. The power of that envelope 
is why I am standing before you today as Deacon John. The anonymous person has not stepped forward. Someday, I would like to thank the person personally. And who knows, it might have been God that wrote the letter. God's got beautiful penmanship, by the way. <laughs> Very nice. But it means so much. But the power of prayer is what it's about. So for the rest of here, if, if you say that you're going to pray for someone, pray for them. I, for one, believe in that power of prayer, and I answered the call of service and was assigned to St. Jude Parish in 2013. And my life has been changed because I said, yes, Lord, I've come to do your will. And I know because of my faith, my journey will continue to be so awesome. Thanks to everyone here that continually send prayers. In fact, I'm so full of the Holy Spirit that sometimes my eagerness to serve has got me into some very strange situations. And I want to share a few stories here of how divine intervention has worked in my life. One of my part-time jobs, I said, is working at the airport. I do all the charter flights. I do all the, I did 30 of the uh, honor flights that hopefully as veterans you have taken advantage of that. And as a pilot, I just like to hang out there. But I work for Allegiant Airlines and Signature Aviation, and I'm part of the ground crew servicing aircraft. So I'm in the belly, taken outside, you know, whatever it needs. When the Air Force One comes in, I'm special services. Not secret services, special services. That might be changing the lab, getting the fuel, see if they need some tissue paper. Special, indeed, for me. But in fact, this one incident I was going to tell you is one that could have cost me my life because we were very, very early in the morning working on a 747 Delta, and we had 11 flights. It was a Hawkeye Bowl game, and if those of you know the Bowl games, a lot of, a lot of planes, we were on a schedule. So we had the band that was going to leave at 4.30 in the morning. We have seven buses ready to, they were staged to get ready to put all their stuff on there. And my job as one of the ground crew was to get these chalks to put there on the wheels and these orange cones to put at the end of the wings so that the buses don't run into the wing. So I knew what my job was, even though I wonder when I'm looking at 16 wheels, which one I'm going to put my chalks on. But I picked a couple, put the chalks on there, and then I run out to the end of the wing. What I forgot is that the number three engine was still going. It blew me. And again, if you look at the engine of a 747, they're right about eye level. I felt it. I felt the air and I turned away from it. Thank goodness. My helmet went flying. I went skitching to the back of the plane. My snowmobile gloves that were black were half white because it had blown off the black and was skitching to the back. So I get in the back of the plane and I'm on my knees because I rolled toward the fuselage because I knew that's where I came from. 
And I look back and here's the belt loader going right by that engine. So I braced myself to jump for the left to the right because I did see the movie Twister and I'm thinking, here comes that combine. Wasn't to happen because the engine had been turned down. But at that moment, it brought me to the point of we are very, very vulnerable people and we have to watch and be careful what we do. And I know my guardian angel probably thought, John, what were you thinking? Well, I've been in a few of those things and I appreciate when I get the help. I have learned in my lifetime that saying yes will somehow provide experiences that sometimes are unexplainable. Let me illustrate that with a couple stories that still have me wondering how God did that. It was Thanksgiving Day. You were preparing yourselves for your meals wherever you were. But I'm out getting that charter flight going so the Hawkeyes can play in Nebraska on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Well, as I'm out there and getting that done, people are preparing meals at home and I promised I would let them know when I'm about ready to leave. And I had one of my colleagues there at the airport said, hey, John, farm kid, there's a great tractor you should see on Edgewood Road. Just, oh, thanks, but I don't have time. I got to get home. So I got in the car, but he planted that seed that I should go do something, but I thought, I've, I'm busy, I gotta go home. So I'm headed toward the interstate, and something told me to turn around. Something told me to make an illegal turn on Wright Boulevard and go back on Edgewood Road. So I did as I was feeling. Sometimes you get those feelings like there's something there. So I turned around Wright Boulevard, went down Edgewood Road and turned right, you can only turn right, and I go up the hill and I come upon a motorcycle accident. The motorcyclist is on the ground, I'm the first one on the scene, and I know it wasn't by coincidence. I went and held the head of the motorcyclist and we prayed the fact that if this was our day to hold him, or if God's day to hold him even closer, we prayed for that young man until the ambulances got there and took him away. He was foaming, his eyes were whatever, but we were there with him to pray with him. And the other person that was on the other side, we did what we could, which wasn't much, except for the eternal glory for that, I think it's everything that we were there. So I told him I was gonna be late. So I finally came home in shock and said, here's what we just ran into and I'm not sure what happened to the man. So we went to Chicago or Libertyville to go to a Thanksgiving dinner with our daughter and we get this phone call saying, Deacon John, are you available to do a funeral vigil this next week? We had one of our people die. And I said, sure. He said he died in a motorcycle accident. It was on Edgewood Road. I said, I was with him. I will be there. There's moments like this in your life that you don't ask why. You just go and serve the Lord. And I thank him for that opportunity. 
Because God puts us in situations and there's no doubt that all I had to do is say yes. It would have been a missed opportunity. But occasionally we get busy in our work and we might just miss what's staring at us right in front of us. This other story was Palm Sunday. I was going to work at Allegiant Airlines. I had things to do, but I also promised that I would do the Palm Sunday uh, service at uh, Keystone. Those people needed me too. So I did the Keystone service and then I went from there, not home, went right to the airport to Allegiant Airlines and I'm here I am. I'm checking people in like, like I had not done anything that day except here I am. But there was a girl that was pacing out in the front, just pacing and I'm doing my stuff. Finally she says, can I get a gate pass? And I said, uh, we're trying not to give out the gate passes. Uh, what's your situation? Well, my sister's coming and, and I'm, I'm kind of anxious. She's, she's coming in on a plane. She hasn't flown before and I wanted to meet her. And I said, she will be right over there. Just wait, she'll be right there. Okay, so I got busy, but I still are pacing. And I said, Gary, watch my terminal. I've got to go talk to this girl. I said, what is it, you know? She said, our father died. Our father died. I needed to be with my sister. So against maybe company policy at the time, I said, I will write you, it's like writing a hall pass when I was principal. I'll write you a gate pass. I need your ID, get there, and I get her the gate pass and hand it off. And I told her I was, I was a deacon in the church, and she said, I'm Catholic. And I thought, well, good, that's, thanks, Lord, you know, that's, that's great. It wasn't important that I was servicing her because she was Catholic, but the fact that that moment she sparked, and we kind of bonded, and she felt good about going through, but not as good as I did for allowing her to meet her sister. Then the announcement came that the plane is coming in, it'll be there shortly, so I get out my jacket, I'm gonna go outside, and I, I thought, you know what? I got some extra palms in my car. Gary, hold my station, I'm gonna run. They said, John, the plane's over here, it's, it's landed, it's wheels down. I'm gonna go, I'll be right back. So I ran to my car, would have liked to have been in the shape that I was in college, but I got the, got the palms, stuck them in my jacket, and I, I went up there and I didn't know if I'd ever see her again, but I did because she was at that window looking for the plane to come be parked. So I said, uh, hi, how are you doing? She says, oh, thanks so much for coming up here. And I said, I know it's, it's Palm Sunday. It's important you have something to hold on to, you and your sister. And I brought out these palms and you'd think it was the greatest thing ever. It was a little gesture but God knows that when we do the little things, they're maybe appreciated more. It was a wonderful experience. Palm Sunday. The Monday after, I get a call from Sandra saying, Pi, she says, John, are you able to do a, uh, could you canter at Mass coming up? We got a guy that died, it's on Wednesday, and could you do that? Could you maybe lead that? Uh, schedule, it's open, I'm good, I'm in, I'm there. So we get ready, we warm up, and we go to out there to have the opening song, and I announce the song I'm doing 
whatever you do when you do the cantering. You're here, you're, you're at the ambo. Guess who walks in? That girl. The chances of that ever happening, I couldn't have orchestrated that. But it happened. And when our eyes met, we connected, smiled, and we went our separate ways. I didn't wait for coffee later to go and say, hey, remember me? I was that guy. No, I wasn't that guy. I was someone that said yes to Jesus, and I'm doing his work. And when I left that day, I had the choice of maybe hanging out to after the committal and, and seeing her and have a talk, but that's not what God wants us to do. He just wants us to be there to minister to people. I'm a chaplain at the hospital, Gary said. Well, you can only imagine the things we run into there, but a short story there is that I was called down to the emergency room because someone that was 94 years old was going to have surgery and she wanted to have someone from pastoral care to go and kind of do a prayer with her or something like that. You know, that's kind of what we do. So I said, uh, sure, be right down. So I go down and check in the room and here's this lady and, you know, minor surgery is always something that happens to someone else. But this lady was there and had her two uh, daughters with her and and I said, well, what's going on? She says, well, I'm having surgery. And, and I said, that's great. I'm so happy you called. And, and uh, let's have a little prayer. Let's hold each other's hand. And, and John Winkle had come up with something really clever. You know, I'm going to really say something. God put me here. And, you know, Lord, just make sure that whatever it is. Then I asked the question that I normally ask when someone's in the, in the hospital. I said, what would you like to pray for him. And she looked at me with these sparkling eyes, with this smile, and said, I want to meet Jesus. There was nothing I could have said that could have topped that. This woman was so prepared, much better than I was, because I had things to do. But she left an imprint on my heart as to when you are preparing yourself during this Lenten season, that when your Easter time comes, that you will be just as strong as she was and that you are ready to meet Jesus. And of course, I could tell you about my chance to assist Pope Francis, but you know, it's just Pope Francis. Everybody loves Francis, don't we? But what I realized when I went to Philadelphia to assist him, and I still have that token in my pocket, yeah, it's still there. Here's a token of appreciation for assisting him at Mass in Philadelphia. When you were there, when he came, when you felt like there was two and a half million people that were all your relatives, you felt that closeness. One of Patrice and my better experiences not knowing how I got there, because I asked other deacons, are you going? Didn't get the invitation. I didn't know anything about it. Well, maybe when you say yes to the Lord, maybe good things will happen, and you might get more invitations, because I think that's the way it works. But the memories and prayers that I answer is every day. But as you can see, my faith life has been full. And I feel that I am doing 
everything possible what God wants me to do. And I feel so blessed to be where God has led me. So thankful to be able to serve God by simply saying, yes, I've come to do your will. I was reminded by one of my special angels at St. Jude that it's not what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. And there are two amazing places that you can be in this world. The nicest place you can be is in someone's thoughts. The safest place you can be is in someone's prayers. My friends in Christ, you are in both. And I'd like to conclude today with a blessing. So if I could ask you to please stand, if you're able. <clears throat> May the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, the love and serve our Lord.